UK Motor Talk. Hello and welcome to UK Motor Talk. I'm Dave, not Mike, unfortunately. He is doing other things, but I'll be here tonight to steer you through the world of motorsport with our two experts. Hello there, I'm Jim. Good to see you all again, although we're uh, yeah, sl- slightly short-handed, as you say, this week. But Mike is uh, here. We need to, need to be careful how we phrase it. I think we've uh, phrased things like this awkwardly. Sadly, is no longer with us is a phrase that's been <laughs> banded around. And then miraculously, the next week is happily with us once again. So it's uh, uh, a bit of resurrection going on there. Yeah, sort of Lazarus TV or radio. Uh, hello, and I'm Graham. There we are. You can tell we're not used to, uh, to doing the intros without uh, without Mike <laughs> at the helm, aren't we? We've but, uh, I'm this. sure we'll uh, ramble through uh, as best we can. And uh, yeah, chat, we've got uh, motorsport season starting up again fairly soon, so we're going to try and rattle through. What are we going to try and do? Formula One, a uh, bit of touring cars maybe, maybe touch on a bit of Formula E, but I think Formula One's been in the, in the headlines Probably more so than any other motorsport over the uh, the last couple of weeks um, for the uh, the testing, but we're not allowed to call it a test. It's been a shakedown or something else. It's, it's it couldn't quite understand why it wasn't televised and and more covered mm. live during the day. But there's been plenty of roundup shows and plenty of footage of all the cars going around the track. So we've had a very good chance to see what the the 2022 cars look like and and. God, they they all look really really good. I don't think there's one that I don't particularly like, and just the the presence of them on the track with the the new aero rules that they have, they look a lot cleaner, a lot simpler. The rear wings look a lot more dramatic uh, to the eye, and and they look good to me. Uh, they do to me. There's uh, there's some interesting uh, uh, developments in the aerodynamics. Um, not all of which I gather the FIA are entirely happy with. I was reading a news release from the FIA. Uh, today and and uh, Ross Braun is saying that uh, well it's uh, they're not quite in the spirit that we've intended or we had intended when we drew up these new regulations um, and there are already one or two queries about you know is Red Bull's um, uh, rear spoiler uh, exactly as it should be and uh, one or two other people's various suspension geometries may not comply might. Um, but I think what we've seen um, in, in in Barcelona has been, in, in some cases, cars that were sort of gaffer taped t- together. Very nice paint jobs, uh, some of them, but uh, certainly not the definitive cars. And I think we'll, uh, we'll get to the Middle East in a few weeks' time before we actually see the definitive cars. I was greatly amused by the, the, um, the uh, tremendous efforts into the uh, new aerodynamics, the ground effects era, the recreation of that. I think I can remember at least one, or possibly two, ground effects eras, and the 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 the, the porpoising effect uh, created by uh, these very low centers of gravity. So uh, it was great to see in um, day two that people were using uh, all kinds of saws to cut bits of their hugely expensive bodywork out to try and make the things easier to drive. Yeah, it's. An interesting one, this porpoising thing. I, I vaguely, I mean, I was I was fairly young when it was still in vogue the first time around. But um, 
I believe it's something to do with the fact that the car gets so efficient and sucks itself to the ground so much that it then stalls like an aircraft wing would, loses all the pressure, and then has to do it all again. So it's going in cycles the whole time, trying to mm. make up what it's just lost, and you end up with this very uncomfortable ride for the drivers. Yeah, that's that's spot on. It, it gets it gets yeah. so efficient with the downforce, as you say, and pulls the car down to the point it goes past the point of no return. So uh, almost, I suppose, like a um, pendulum type effect on it. It just pushes itself around so far and then it, it just perpetually does that. And it, yeah, it, it did look a little bit odd. I think at one point some of the drivers were saying they're going to have to get gum shields or things like that to try and solve it. But I, I think for um, such a, a sweeping raft of rule changes uh, aerodynamically, not too much on the mechanical side. The engines have stayed broadly the same in, in terms of rules. There's a few manufacturers of uh, brought engine upgrades and, and changed philosophies. Ferrari, particularly, their their engine seems quite potent uh, as long as it's completely within the rules and and not down to timing of when it measures the fuel flow, etc. The the Ferrari engine looks good, um, but for for such a sweeping set of rules, there was a concern all the cars would look exactly the same as the rules were too prescriptive. Uh, but I think just in in terms of initial layout, whether all the cars converge on a common philosophy as the years go on. I suspect they will. Uh, but initially, it's, it's good to see that there's a few different approaches, uh, whether it's push rod, pull rod at the front, and vice versa at the rear, or the same front and rear. Good to see a few teams have gone different ways. I think there's good sides and bad sides to both push rod and pull rod. Ultimately, mm -hmm. I don't think it'll make or break any team's season. Uh, if they've gone push rod or pull rod at the expense of the other, as long as you can get the overall package working. Uh, but how how the different front wings take different approaches to to trying to feed that air more through the the Venturi tunnels underneath and get the ground effectors has been good to see. Uh, but I think that all, most of the cars seemed fairly reliable. I think. I mean, even the if running down the the lap charts, Ferrari topped that with. 439 laps which is uh which is a hell of a lot in three days it's quite impressive if, if you haven't impressive. driven a formula one car in anger for a few months as none of them will have done you know i know they've all been down the gym and training and you know lifting up cars with their neck muscles or whatever it is they seem to do i think most of them seem to have stronger necks than most people have entire body strength uh but i don't think anything quite prepares you properly for for driving an f1 car other than actually driving it uh, 439 laps, very impressive. Uh, bottom of the charts, uh, Haas, which I think given they, they wrote off last year before it had even started, I think they'd have probably wanted to get a few more laps than that under their belt. Um, but of course, Haas and, and Nikita Mazepin and uh, the situation, which which I'm sure we're all well aware of. I mean, we're not we're not a political podcast. That's for certain. We're supposed to be a car podcast, and we you know occasionally completely lose the plot when it comes to that. But I do think it's worth worth saying that it's it's a horrible situation out there, and and we hope it gets resolved as soon as possible for the the people mm. in Ukraine more than anything else. Um, yeah, it 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 just seems odd to me that in 2022 we can end up in in this situation. Um, so, you know, just for, fingers crossed things can get sorted sooner rather than later and, and people can get back to rebuilding their lives and, and try and stay safe. But the, the, the knock-on effects of that situation we can't really ignore in terms of Formula One. Uh, Haas sponsorship, of course, comes from Ural Cali, which is uh, Dimitri Mazepin's company, and he's he's got very close ties to Putin. Um, 
Nikita Mazepin, his his drive is tied to that sponsorship, uh, but also his his ability to travel around the world to do 2,482 races or however many we're going to try and do this year is linked to uh, to having a visa for each country. So I think there's there's only about three countries that he can actually travel to at the moment. Every other country has said nope, go away, close to you. So uh, I uh, I don't think we'll be seeing Mazepin lining up for the, uh, no, for the entire I. season i i could neither be wrong the, the the only way i can see him lining up on uh, on the grid for every race this season is that peace is declared tomorrow so actually in in a perverse way if nikita is on the grid for the entire season it, it would be one of the best things in the world which uh, I, I never thought i'd say that but it's um yeah str- strange times after a strange couple of years it's it's more strange mm. times really but just to butt in there um we're re- obviously, it's a fluid situation. The whole, the whole sort of situation with Ukraine at the minute. But uh, there has been an FIA statement um, regarding the situation, um, which does say no Russian or Belarusian uh, national teams will participate in international zone competitions, i.e., the or e.g. the FIA Motorsport Games until further notice. Uh, no Russian Belarusian national symbols, colours, flags, uniform, equipment and car should be displayed or anthems should be played at international zone competitions until further notice. And further to that, uh, Haas driver Nikita Mazepan will be allowed to compete in Formula 1 this season after the FIA confirmed that Russian and Belarusian drivers can race under a neutral flag. So again, there's still mm. the situation potentially with his um, visa and access to the actual countries. But as far as the FIA are concerned, um, sport wins out and he can race without any uh, affiliations. Sorry to butt in on it. I just, that's literally popped no, up just a, now. Certainly, I, I understand there was supposed to be a meeting uh, between Mazepin and the team uh, and their respective lawyers at some point during today. So uh, I guess the two things are interconnected. Well, if, uh, if Gunter Steiner didn't have enough on his plate already, I think he certainly does now. Probably do without this, and I imagine being a fly on the wall of the Haas boardroom would be quite an interesting experience at the minute. But anyway, let's let's leave that one there. Sorry, let's move on. The, the Haas itself, I think it looks not not quite as polished, not quite as, as developed as it could be, and certainly wasn't the most reliable. Um, certainly wasn't the quickest either, so I'm, I'm maybe slightly worried about them. Next up, we had the uh, the Alfa Romeo. Certainly looked good in its camouflage livery, although it made uh, it made picking out the details very very tricky as it was supposed <laughs> to do. But fuzzy photography helped when they did finally launch the livery. That uh, that looked rather nice. That livery, I d- I do quite like that. I know it's a, a variation on last year, but it does look does look rather special. I think it does look lovely, and I agree. I think it looked fantastic in the um, in the disguise camouflage livery as well, but. Then again, I think it looks even better in the red and white, and it's uh, it's a nice classic livery. It's certainly one that's going to look good on on screen and on track this year. Although I think I fear it might be a slightly towards the back end. They uh, they certainly didn't get uh, a massive reliable running, and and Valtteri Bottas only had a, a handful of laps. I think uh, Guan Yuzo was the quickest of the Alfa Romeo drivers. I think just by virtue of having completed a few more laps, and he was. Uh, some nineteen twenty one twenty two some some three seconds off the pace of uh, of Lewis Hamilton in the Mercedes. Spoiler alert: the Mercedes were on top again. But uh, I think that's why the first the first test wasn't a test; it was a shakedown. We'll see what happens in Bahrain if they can 
nail the reliability, then uh, then hopefully they can push and, and develop a bit of speed from there. Uh, the Alpine sporting its its blue and pink livery. Uh, the first couple of flyaway races, of course, are going to be an all pink livery in deference to new sponsors BWT. Uh, seemed to be the could have had much more out of that test. I think they had uh, some setup issues and, and the car didn't seem the friendliest to drive. And then uh, made a few setup changes over a lunch break and and within half a lap, Alonso got on the radio and said, "This is fantastic. This is much better. It's cured that old oh, bang." And it went pop, and that was it. So the the half a lap of, of running that he got before it went pop, he was mega impressed with the setup changes, but I don't, I don't think we quite got to see anything like the full potential of that car. So, uh, but if if Alonso says within half a lap, yep, this is uh, this is much better, a step in the right direction. You know, imagine what they can do with two or three laps of running. It'll uh, they'll be top of the timesheets before we know it. It was suggested that he'd be very close to the top of the timesheets. Had all gone well, and he, you know, he. <laughs> I, how he accidentally turned on the barbecue mode switch, I really don't know. But uh, it was a fairly spectacular fire, which, um, you know, it's going to cost an awful lot of money to sort out. But clearly the car has a great deal of potential. They didn't uh, didn't run uh, DRS at any point during the shakedown, which was a, a slight concern and looked looked like the engine was in a, in a very turned down, very safe mode, which mm. although they... I think they turn around afterwards and says, oh, yeah, but if we'd have opened DRS, we'd have had half a second. If we'd have done X, Y, and Z, we'd have had that. So, yeah, we're about there, but they didn't. So is is there a reason for not having the DRS, or is that in an effort to look at the, the baseline aero rather than the, the ultimate performance of the aero? I found it quite extraordinary that uh, the amount of time and money that's been invested in these, these new cars, and uh, uh, probably the majority of them, were incomplete works in progress and not quite ready to do everything you know even red bull and and ferrari and mercedes they were all having slightly different issues yes they they, they were a bit quicker uh, got more mileage under their belt and were a bit more reliable but i think in in, in each of those cases the three front runners probably they would say that the car's not there yet you know there's there's a lot of development to come and there will be a lot of development just in the next couple of weeks before we uh, we get to uh, the Middle East. Yeah, I think the the development curve is is going to be absolutely stratospheric this year as everybody gets their teeth stuck into it and starts looking at what the other teams have done. Uh, I mean, if if you thought the development race was hotly contested in previous seasons, uh, I'd I'd love to uh, to see all the cars go back to Barcelona at the end of this year when it's all finished. Uh, try and get a temperature track temperature and conditions somewhat vaguely the same if you can and just see how much quicker they go. Uh, I mean, they're already not not too far off previous pre-season testing lap times. I mean, the, the regulations weren't designed to slow them down. I think that uh, the regulation changes were designed to improve the racing, reduce the reliance on mm. uh, overbody downforce, cut down on the dirty air, cut down on the effects of the dirty air. Initially... All that, all that seems to be about right. Although Russell and Norris had said they were, they were able to follow closer, easier overall. Uh, the, they could get, you know, the, in in pre years gone by, the the point at which you started getting disturbed and losing grip was something stupid like five or six seconds. Uh, whereas they said, you know, in that that two second to five second, much easier. 
that one second to two second about the same uh and then the within a second slightly better but the slipstream doesn't have as much of an effect as uh, as of course if there's less overbody downforce then there's less overbody drag so therefore being in the slipstream and and all the air and the outwash chucked out to the side you know removes more of the air so the slipstream effect in years gone by i think has been stronger that'll be less but Having said that, heavier cars, and they, they seem to be uh, more skittish and have less grip at low speed. I think high speed, they've actually got a mm. lot more grip. Uh, low that's, speed, that's as that, aerodynamic that Venturi effect blo- disappears off, the grip's reduced. So longer braking zones, I think that'll probably help overtaking as well if you've got a bigger percentage or just more time. You know, you look at some of the corners last year and they're braking, the Mercedes in particular, you, you know, they're almost braking as they start turning in well you're never going to outbreak somebody if if the point at which you break is as you're turning into the corner so longer braking zones i think are, uh, are a good thing so it's, it's all shaping up to be uh, to be rather good overall um aston martin next up 296 laps uh so reasonable lap times in the hands of sebastian vettel he was in the one minute 19 so at, at least in in the same second ballpark as uh, as the mercedes and red bulls and others looks a little bit handier looks a lot better on track as well i think the all the teams uh, you said how good the um uh, some of the cars had looked on track i think they've paid real attention to how the cars look on tv not just under studio lights and the the aston's very simple livery, the Aston Green with the uh, the luminous flashes, but that that looked quite good and and looked fairly stable. Not not setting the world alight, but I don't think their plan was to set the world alight this year, was it? They're they're still building the factory and still putting all the infrastructure in in place. But fingers crossed, it it allows Vettel to uh, to get a bit of his mojo back and and maybe scrap for a few podiums or or maybe even better this year. He, he was suggesting in uh, a couple of interviews that I saw that he, he's for feeling much more comfortable with the new car. He thinks it suits him better, and he's certainly hoping for a better season. Well, you know, he's he's an old hand now. He's been around long enough that he doesn't have to entirely play the PR game, and he doesn't seem to care that much whether he does or he doesn't. So, uh, you know, I think if he's, if he's saying he generally thinks it's better, uh, I'm quite happy to go with that because, uh, you know, he's pretty much on record. If he didn't think it was better, he'd say so. Uh, next up, then, Alpha Tauri managed uh, 308 laps and uh, time just behind the uh, the Aston again in the one minute 19s for for Pierre Gasly. Did have a, a bit of an off driver error, but that's I suppose that's what shakedowns are about: pushing the limit of the car and and working out exactly what you can and can't do with it. But all all seemed fairly happy in their camp. Again, a, another evolution of the livery, but but looks rather good. I, I'm not sure I can see them making that that huge jump to consistent podium challengers or race winners just because of the uh the pecking order i half think if they designed a better car red bull would literally just swap it paint the red bull in alpha tauri colors and vice versa and say there you are get on with it which i think is what uh what honda and super aguri did one year didn't they the super aguri was better than the honda so they had the super aguri and gave super aguri the honda and then got on with it <laughs> one of the benefits of having the junior team isn't it just going back to something you were saying earlier there uh, jim uh, in terms of development they're obviously going to have a very very steep learning curve this year what are the rules this year have they changed in terms of how much time they're allowed to spend how much money is the cap the same as as it was in 2021 or have things been loosened off a little to allow for this new 
rapid pace of development they're going to have to enter into. It's a double whammy, really. They've had the the effect of the cost cap as the new regulations are coming in. So it's been uh, uh, doubly hard to try and develop an all-new, brand-new car, certainly from an aerodynamic and an overall philosophy, which obviously takes time. The rules in terms of uh, CFD time and wind tunnel time and things like that have been rejigged so that those who finish at the very bottom of the championship get more time in the wind tunnel and are allowed more development time, etc., to, uh, to try and improve the car. Those at the top get less time, so it's almost like in, in other race series you have a, a balance of performance, whether it's on restrictor plates on turbos or whether it's success ballast in terms of weight. Or uh, Formula One almost seems to have a balance of performance, but it's a, a financial or research and development penalty to try and even things out over time. So as it happens, finishing at the bottom of the pile does give you a, a bit more time and a bit more scope to do things. The figure for the for the cost cap seemed to have remained constant as as last year, but uh, as you say, Jim, they they they've tweaked some of the rules around that, so they've written them in a, a slightly fuzzier way. So you can include some things you couldn't previously, and time spent on on some things you couldn't previously. And yes, as you say, it it it, it ought to benefit the tail end of the field a little bit more in that they can do more. Uh, but the amount of money they can spend is is the same. The rules are just a bit fuzzier. That could prove to be a problem a bit later on. Does Formula One do fuzzy? <laughs> it's, it's an interesting concept. I can't see Ferrari being fuzzy, but um, the car looks good, though, definitely. I'm, I'm liking the look. Of, they do seem to have gone back to the um, traditional colour red haven't they in recent years rather than mm. the day glow orange that they used to have in deference to I think it was Marlborough who probably drove that one but yes it's nice to see them looking proper Rosso Corsa again lovely yeah, I always nice. quite like the uh, the dark red or the Rosso Corsa with the the highlights of the Marlborough logos on it it made the 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 orange or the red or the day glow red pop that little bit more against the background of the ferrari which uh which always looked quite nice but yeah i think the the ferrari, i mean it's it's a fairly simple livery isn't it it's well it's a ferrari so paint it ferrari red you can't really go wrong but in the last few years they do seem to have gone wrong with that as you say this year back to the proper red and it's got black wings and it it, it looks proper in terms of livery, it looked proper on track. It did the most number of laps, 439. Looked quick and composed both in, in the hands of Leclerc and Carlos Sainz. You know, 119.6 for, for Charles Leclerc. And uh, yeah, overall, whether there'll be P1, P2, P3 or P4. It's interesting to note that neither of, the, of Ferrari or McLaren were doing the sort of real full-out go-as-fast-as-you-can laps, were they? Uh, they weren't running on the softest tyres, which I believe Mercedes were doing. So perhaps a bit of sandbagging there. So we might be surprised by how good Ferrari or McLaren might well be. I also got the impression that um, that uh, uh, Ferrari is a slightly happier ship now than it was last season. There, there, there was talk towards the end of last season of Binotto being ousted, which is something Ferrari does on a fairly regular basis. He's not been there long. Um, and the two drivers seem to be at odds with each other, and one sort of gets the impression from the from the statements and particularly from the body language that we are seeing in their pits that um, it's all slightly happier, and they do feel that things are going to get better this year. So maybe that uh, put a brave face on it and 
and just go for it. So yes, I think that the Ferrari is certainly going to feature larger this year. They're not going to be the the big disappointment I think they were last season, the season before. So the uh, the Ferrari team looking uh, looking solid and reliable. But they just they seem to have an air of a team just going about their program, just very very unhurried, very unrushed as as much as you can be when you're pelting around a track at 200 miles an hour to not appear rushed with things. Um, but all, uh, yeah, all, all seemed very calm, very, uh, very methodical, as you say, not not going for the outright fastest lap time with soft tyres. Uh, but I think just looking at their average pace and their long run pace, they, they looked fairly happy. Although Mercedes ended up ended up quickest and and Red Bull second quickest, we'll get on to them in a minute. I I thought the the team of the test for for me really was McLaren with how a how good the livery looked. I've mentioned it before, and I will keep mentioning it for a long, mm, long, long, mm, long time. Mm. That is one good looking livery. Um, but the 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 camp they seemed fairly happy. They seemed to get on top of the poor poising issue a lot quicker than uh, than any of the other teams. Uh, again, they said it is not not ultimately a huge effect on lap time, uh, as the effect disappears once you slow down a little bit, as you do for most corners. Um, but they uh, again, they they just seemed very composed, very together. A uh, couple of tenths off the the ultimate fastest time, but I think a little bit of that was uh yeah a push from a mercedes but i'm i'm liking the look of mclaren i think there there may be a good bet at a fiver on uh, on each of the drivers and maybe for the team as well this is not financial advice the value of your investment can go down as well as up and if you follow my betting advice it probably will go down but i uh, i just like the, like the look of mclaren it's good to see them somewhere back towards where they where they need to be and and hopefully joining a a two, three, or four-way fight for the championship. Because if uh, if we thought a two-team, two-driver fight for the championship was good, well, I'd I'd quite like to see a, a four-way, eight-driver, six-driver fight. That would mm. be good. Mm. Uh, they're much better from a fan's point of view. Certainly, I uh, very much welcome McLaren being back up there and back in the, in the fight for podium places, if uh, for no better than that. Uh, and certainly, by the looks of the new card, the, you know the team does seem. Uh, fairly well sorted as I was saying about Ferrari they seem to be comfortably going about what they've got to do they they know what they've got to do um, and they seem to have the confidence that they can deal with any problems that might arise yeah it'll be good it'll be nice to have a bit of variation it has got a bit processional over the last few years hasn't it and having more people generating more interest that hopefully this is going to be a byproduct of the new rules and regulations as well. There's a lot more unknowns, and obviously you're still going to have the people at the top who are going to be good no matter what. They've got the right team, they've got the right people, but it has thrown in a little bit of a, a curveball, if you like, to make things a little bit different. It could throw things up in the air a little. Let's hope so, anyway. It uh, would be nice to see someone else in there causing causing grief for the top two. Well, I think you're, you're definitely yeah. right. I mean, the the top teams, you, you don't forget how to win a race overnight. The best drivers don't forget how to be quick overnight or over a winter break as it happens. Might Mercedes and Red Bull have spent too much time on last year developing to uh, to try and round off the championship battle? 
did did Mercedes maybe do a little bit less development early in the season, looking at next year's car, and then suddenly realised, oh, hang on, we need to ramp this up. So did they did they start this year's car, then dial it down a little bit as the uh, the championship fight hotted up a bit? So I think the the Mercedes development curve towards the end of the season was reasonably evident to see. Um, mm. And just as we saw in uh, in 2008, leading into 2009, Ferrari and McLaren so so wrapped up in that championship battle that 2009 went completely by the by, and they both ended up with not very good cars, uh, albeit they did win races in 09, um, but no way near the the leading pair of the Brawns and the Red Bulls. But of course, what Mercedes and Red Bull and the the big teams can't do this year going back to the rules is is spend their way out of trouble they can't just think oh hang on we didn't quite do that okay that's not a problem at all hire another 300 of the brightest and best people and throw a you know a million pounds every couple of days at it and and we'll find some lap time you're going to be very careful with that 140 million that they have to spend for the entire year not including drivers and a couple of key personnel that's not actually a lot of money when it comes to logistics and Getting two cars on track at twenty odd races that that can get eaten up very very quickly. So, which uh, which teams have come out of the block very well, and which teams have actually got any money left to develop throughout the year? Well, that will be interesting to see. Um, but Red Bull yeah. looked reasonably good, reasonably quick. It was it was odd to see Verstappen's driving style certainly early on as well. He just looked looked very smooth, very calculated, very very unverstappen like. To be honest, he was smooth and and gentle on the car wasn't throwing it around in in true verstappen style so does this mean the car's a little bit more mellow to drive is it a little bit less edgy so might it come towards perez that little bit better certainly the the red bull i mean i was looking at uh, some of the tech uh, sketches of the the, the way that uh, newey and uh, his colleagues have designed the floor and it's 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 a work of art you know if you if you look at it closely all of those ripples have a purpose. You know, they've all been carefully honed in the, in the, the wind tunnel with CFD. Um, so whereas the others were out there cutting holes and uh, trying to figure out what the hell was going on, they seem to have solved that. that I think that's the beauty of Newey having been around uh, a long time and having dealt with those issues before. He's uh, set, must be second time into ground effects so he he learned a lot the first time around yeah there's, there's certainly plenty of lead designers and and chief engineers up and down the pit lane that that weren't even born the last time ground effect was a thing in formula one quite so um so quite that so. that it, it might be on uh, on sketches and drawings and anecdotal evidence but there's nothing like having it in your own head and having seen it firsthand is there um i mean uh and the last team on our list to discuss and, and a team we wish all the best for this year as uh, as most people seem to is williams who of course were, were around uh, well and truly, the last time ground effect was a thing, um, they they seemed improved, if if not spectacular. I mean, the the livery certainly looked good, and and Alex Albon seemed to be rather happy to be back in a, in a race seat, yeah. even if he has still got quite a bit of Red Bull sponsorship plastered all over him. Uh, it was a, a little uh, a little bit odd to see, but compared to years past, you know, they they ran a, a good number of laps in in the middle of the lap charts and seemed if not quite the quickest, um, seem to have some decent, solid pace around them. Again, times are always a, a tricky thing. They've always had problems with early season reliability. It's really been their Achilles heel over several seasons now. And 
that doesn't seem to be the case this season. The car seems to be eh, sort of there or thereabouts, and, and perhaps we're, we'll see them nearer the front of the midfield than uh, further back. I'm sure we all we all wish Williams very well. I mean, they they lost their figurehead, haven't they? Last year, I mean, obviously wasn't connected to the team anymore, but still had his name. And uh, I'm sure Frank Williams' spirit still lives very very strongly within that team. And, and yeah, for that reason bet. alone, I'm sure we all we all wish them very well. I think um, uh, Alex Albon was quoted as saying that they have a great foundation to start the year on, and obviously there's a lot of <laughs> PRness going on there. But I think they actually mean it. I think they do realise that they're not going to be the fastest straight out of the out of the blocks. But if anyone's got resilience and strength and depth to draw on, it's going to be William surely. Mm, mm. Yeah, they are strong within the team, and and um, you know Frank engendered this uh, extraordinarily strong loyalty, and and that seems to have carried over to the to the new management. You know, everybody in the the factory and in the team seems to be working for the for the corporate good of the of the company, which is which is just great. And I, I was pleased with one or two of the comments. I mean, it was good to see Alex Albin back. I think he deserved to be back. Um, and I think it's a, a drive that he'll look after well and do well with it. So there we go. We, uh, we head towards uh, the, the first proper pre-season test rather than a, uh, than a shakedown in, uh, in a few weeks' time. So I think that what the cars look like there compared to Barcelona will be interesting to keep an eye on but there's a bit more television coverage for those that uh, that subscribe or have access to it through other means so uh, it'll be a uh, yeah interesting to watch and, and ultimately I think it's it's a good thing the rules have headed in the direction they're going in and if it improves the racing then uh, then all the better for it if it shakes up the order a bit then all the better for it so there's lo- lots of reasons to be optimistic about this season so I uh, I for one can't wait So moving on to other forms of motorsport and going completely to the other end of the scale from Formula One, uh, we have Extreme E, which has been very interesting to watch, which never ceases to amuse me. The fact that when they're racing in the desert, as they have been of late, they still manage to have all this space, yet still come into contact with each other, banging <laughs> doors and turning each other over. But uh, yeah, that was a that was a fantastic start to the season out there in Saudi Arabia. We we saw again linked to Formula One the arrival of McLaren in in their car with uh, Tanner Faust, who uh, you may or may not remember was one of the presenters of Top Gear USA a few years ago, and um, they actually flattered to deceive a bit there, McLaren. They showed some great form. They they won one of their heats, but unfortunately came a cropper with Tanner at the wheel. Um, spoiler alert in in the final. So. They've uh, they've shown they've shown a lot of promise there. I know I'm a bit biased when it comes to McLaren, but I'm I'm keen for them to do well. But it's uh, it's a great start to the season. It does seem to be situation normal at the top though, with um, Rosberg's team sort of still there at the top. I'm just looking at pictures of them now. There they are. Yes, congratulations, you've won. But yes, did anyone else see any of this, or is it just me? I saw the uh, the accident, and yes, that was an almighty shunt, wasn't it? And the one of the downsides about racing on sand is once it digs in and starts to go, the you know one end of the car digs in and stops very suddenly, but there's a lot of momentum and a lot of weight behind it, so the rest of it seems to overtake the rest of it far far quicker. It's 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 kind of like porpoising, but on on steroids, isn't it? And leads to uh, <laughs> a rather more sweeping up needed afterwards. But it's uh, I, I just like the name of the place more than anything. The fact that it was called Nyom and that's where they were racing and all the cars as they <laughs> yeah. went past didn't didn't actually go Nyom they just go Whoosh. 
and then bang when they uh, when they hit the deck. But... They've got some fantastic runoff areas compared to Formula One, haven't they? I mean, the, like Chris, Christopherson in the final, um, when he was sort of, I think he overdid it coming around one of the corners, went so wide but still managed to stay ahead, which was fantastic. And as I say, you know, they've got all this desert to play in. And generally, as long as you don't mash the flags down and then get yourself a penalty, you can pretty much use a fair amount of the space you're given. It's, it's brilliant. It's just such a such a fun thing to watch. Well, it kind of reminds me in a way uh, of, of the old school safari rallies in the WRC. There's a bit of, yeah. okay, well, if actually yeah. if you go that way, it's a little bit flatter so you can go flat out but it's a bit longer it's almost like, okay drive in a really wide circle at 200 miles an hour or do a very tight circle so you have to slow down a lot more but in essence start here go over there as fast as you can start lines here finish lines there go get on with it draw draw your own you know if if motor racing as uh as graham hill i think once described it was you know the uh the track is my canvas and the car is my paintbrush or something you know the desert is my canvas the car is a paintbrush but you've got a much bigger canvas to uh, to work with it leads to uh, some more uh, some more interesting art shall we say no it's good stuff it's good stuff. did you see much of it Graham? uh no i haven't watched any of this uh, this season so far but i did watch a few last season and i, I really enjoyed it you know the fact that it is um, your observation is a very apt one that uh, Although they have all of that amount of space, they still seem to manage to crash into each other. God knows where that is, but nevertheless, it's it's entertaining. But uh, it's just a fascinating branch of motorsport. It's different, isn't it? It's very much of its time, and I think it's only going to increase in popularity as more and more people expect to see alternative power in the... Mm. Um, well, I was going to say in the engine bay. It could be anywhere, can't it? But um, alternative-powered vehicles racing one another. And I think... We mentioned last time that um, I think Extreme E are, are now looking at potentially racing with hydrogen fuel cells in the cars as opposed to the um, the battery power that they've got at the minute, which if they can make that work safely, that's got a huge amount of potential, yeah. I would have thought. Quite so. I think that there have been some uh, interesting developments in, in, in the science there in the last year or so, and I keep seeing in the various science magazines Articles about how uh, it's developing very fast. Yes, if that's the case, uh, you know, I, I, I'm still of the view, uh, broadening the conversation out slightly. I'm still of the view that EVs are not the way to go, not in the long term. So it's it's a short term stopgap, and I think some of the manufacturers also uh, of the same view that um, okay, we have to do what our political masters tell us we've got to provide, but it isn't the right way forward, and that probably hydrogen is but there we are it, it'll it'll resolve itself by 2035 when we all have to be in evs unless by that stage there's been a, a hydrogen breakthrough maybe that's not an unfortunate phrase but uh <laughs> I, I think it is you know i mean i was driving hydrogen powered cars in the experimental ones admittedly in the late 80s and early 90s you know it's taken us an awful long time to get to not being ready to go, not into production. Extraordinary. 
Well, it's, it's a similar story to uh, to electric vehicles, isn't it? I was watching a uh, a rundown and review of the history of the uh, the Ford Ka or Ka or Car or however mm. you want to pronounce it, and the the various models that came out of it. And uh, I've got very very fond memories of the Mark One Ka. And uh, my first company car was a Sport Ka, and uh, and I absolutely loved it to pieces. But how some of the uh, the Latin American markets took it and turned it into uh, station wagons or estates and things like that and then just randomly halfway through through the video popped up with and of course Ford developed an electric version of the KA in 1999 or 98 or whenever they did and you think hang on there was an all-electric Mark 1 KA that Ford had developed why why wasn't that a thing why didn't they push on with it why 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 is it in 2022 is the first time that we're seeing proper mainstream all-electric vehicles when when it's been around for ages. If they'd have stuck with it at the time, where where would we where would we be now? If if we've come this way in a couple of years, why why aren't we much further ahead? It seems odd. You've only got to track the SMMT statements, and if they are representative of the industry, and I believe they are, what's pushing the EVs is purely political action. Uh, in this country and across Europe. And uh, these are the same... You see, I'm slightly longer in the tooth than the rest of you. These are the same political masters that insisted we should all go over to diesel cars in the 80s. And, and I was... Uh, I remember very well writing articles at that time. We don't want these dirty, smelly, uh, rough-driving cars. You know, they, they, they weren't a good idea. Okay, they were steadily refined, but they're still essentially dirty and smelly, which is why governments no longer want them. The governments that persuaded us that we should all have one just 20, 30 years ago. Political cycles seem to matter more than the technology. Well, they, they do seem to sort of, one pushes the other. I mean, the, the political sort of expediency does mean that those who have to adapt do adapt. And we do get technology, you know, increasing in inefficiency and, and, and it, it speeds things up. Because I can remember around about the time that the, the car, cat, AA, whatever, whatever it's called, being up in London, seeing that um, I think it was Westminster Council, a good twenty odd years ago, were running um, Peugeot one hundred and six electric vehicles. But I, I imagine they didn't have a range of much more than about fifty miles, if that, and would have taken about a week and a half to charge. Mm. And I think that's the thing that's that's improved, hasn't it? The fact that these things are now usable pretty much on a daily basis notwithstanding the 45 minutes even on a three-phase charger that you have to endure at a petrol station. But, you know, these things, you know, it just shows that when when that is the fate of complete, that's that's what can be achieved. And, and if this is what's going to happen in... I mean, it appears to be that the extreme are hedging their bets here, or perhaps they're trying, no pun intended, to drive the issue a little bit by saying... Hang on a oh, minute, there is so. an alternative, and, and fair play to them for that. I think that needs to be the case. It doesn't necessarily all have to be electric. If the two can coexist, so much the better. But I've, I've always been a, a fan of the hydrogen idea. Again, you've got to be careful that you know driving into one doesn't set off something that sort of demolishes a city block. But at the same time, I don't think that's an insurmountable thing. And if they're talking about doing it for racing, that's got to be the perfect sort of arena for proving that it's a safe technology. I think uh, the first car manufacturer to come up with with the Hindenburg as a model name <laughs> might uh, <laughs> might regret it. <laughs> well, there you go. Crash and burn. 
Yeah. No, it's, it's going to be an interesting season. I'm looking forward to the next one. And uh, we will keep you posted with, uh, with what we find when we watch. So just rounding up our motorsport chat for this week, I've seen that uh, the tickets for the Formula E Monaco E-Prix have been released, and and they're somewhat of a bargain, to be honest. I mean, I said uh, a couple of episodes ago that uh, I wouldn't mind getting up to London to see Formula E in real life, because I think, I, you know, I, I was a fan of Formula One before I went to a Grand Prix, but the first time I ever went to a Grand Prix, that that feeling of seeing a Formula One car go flat out into Turn 1 at Silverstone, and the old Turn 1, not the, the new Turn 1 having been redeveloped, was uh, just absolutely blew my mind. So I think that, that Formula E is, is one of those things, I keep saying to myself, I, I must get into more, but I think I need to go and see one to, to get a real feel for it. But I, I never thought I'd say the phrase Monaco and bargain. <laughs> but the tickets for the Monaco E-Prix are an absolute bargain. They're 30 euros if you want a grandstand ticket everything else is free so it's uh whether you think that speaks volumes as to the uh the attendance or or whatever i don't really care get get along to it if uh, i'm going to uh spend the next couple of days researching cheap flights down to nice and or possibly even driving to be fair i'll have a look at the charging network and uh and see how i can get down there i think that might be quite fitting to try and drive there in an ev watch an ebri and then drive back in an ev uh but 30 euros for a grandstand ticket for, that's a real for an FIA that's a real formula event at Monaco. That's That's got to be a bargain, to be fair. And, it? you know, if if you're going to have any racing on city courses, as some of the city courses they race on look a bit like the infamous Detroit car park from many, many years ago. Some of you will remember that. Um, yeah. But uh, Monaco is a real race circuit. It just happens to be in a city. Well and- worth going to see. Just looking at this, it's it's thirty euros flat fee. It's thirty euros no matter where you want to go, and you can actually see them mm. at the time of recording this. Grandstand B Casino is one of the most um, obviously one of the most popular. There are fourteen free places as I uh, as I look at this now. One percent available, thirty euros. You can also have uh, oh let's have a look. Anthony knows four uh, percent available, thirteen spaces. 30 euros. Unfortunately, the only one that's completely gone is the dock side. That's Grandstand T3. They've all gone because that's the main view of the pits, isn't it? But apart from that, there are others there. 59% available, 44% available, 60% available in one of them. So that's the swimming pool. And the swimming pool is a good one because they zigzag through there. So, uh, yeah, that's, if, you're, that's a good spot. if you're listening to this at some point early March, maybe have a quick look at monaco-epre.com because uh, you might stand a good chance of getting a decent ticket. It seems quite nice. They all have uh, a few of the grandstands, which are still relatively available, have a view of the pits. You can see things going on there, but all of the others have a giant screen. I've, I've been to Silverstone quite a few times over the years and not had a clue as to what's actually going on in the race. you could, And quite a few of the races, funnily enough, being Silverstone, have been wet, so it gets even more confusing after about seven laps when people pit or don't pit. Uh, and, and, you know, trying to follow it on the radio that you can barely hear, and this is before the days of 3G, 4G or 5G, so being able to watch it on your phone as, uh, as well as watch it in real life, to, to have that 
the big screen there so you know exactly what's going on at all times that that seems good but i've watched a few of the highlight of the first round of formula e this year and the the qualifying format i thought was a bit of a gimmick in in the run-up to it but actually that was a bloody exciting qualifying session it sort of actually had a bit of oh go on go on no can he oh go on that's good and but it kept that just by splitting the drivers up, you got that willy wonty sensation repeated several times over the course of the qualifying session. So it, it seemed quite good. It was, uh, I mean, it, it almost had shades of, uh, of Jerez 97 where they, they were all setting an identical lap time, but it, it just seemed to repeat that and keep it going. So it seemed to work quite well. As a race series, it's taken a few criticisms on board or a few or thought of a few new ideas as well and, and implemented them and, and sort of got on with it and done it quite well. So it's it's definitely gathering momentum and, and gathering energy as a series, I think. It's uh, in, you know, taking the basic format of, well, let them all go out and do a qualifying lap and line them up in that order and then let them do a longer series of laps is is fairly tried and tested but it's introducing just enough variety without making it seem too gimmicky um i'm still not sure about fan boost as an idea and the uh the power boost if you go wide on a corner and you get the boost zone but you miss it again i'm not not sure about that to be fair but the uh the the qualifying session spot on and let's face it 30 euros for a ticket at monaco well let's go why not I, yes. I, I suspect that it's actually with the, with the complexity of the rules that it's possibly better to watch live than it is to watch on the TV because all of those rule things are played out on the TV. And I, I think it somewhat spoils the, the, the action. I would certainly prefer to go and see it. There's almost some, too much information to take in, isn't there? I mean, yeah. I, I think I agree with you with the, the gimmickry. It's, it's, the same, it's the same reason I'm, I'm not so keen on things like DRS in Formula One. I mean... You know, just just keep it simple. Let it let it play out in front of you and see what you see is what you get. But I agree. I I do love watching it. And thirty euros for anything in Monaco, and that's pretty much what you'd normally pay for a bloody ice cream there, in my experience. I was going to say no such I've, thing as anything cheap in Monaco. I've done a a, a reasonably priced weekend in Monaco before. It was uh, I went there two weeks or a week before the, the Monaco Grand Prix, uh, there was a motor show on at the uh, the forum that they have there. Um, went with a, with a mate from work at the time. He had a family friend that, that lived in Monaco in an apartment, so he, he put us up for three or four nights. So, you know, we managed to do the, the entire weekend in Monaco on an absolute shoestring, uh, but get around and see everything being constructed for the Grand Prix and, and get a feeling of it. Walked the track layout several times, you know, had a few beers in uh, in the bar at the Raskas and how much? No, no, <laughs> on, only four, not 40. Oh, that is for four. Oh, I, I do apologise. Sorry. There you go. Uh, do you take credit card? Yes, lovely. Thank you very much. And uh, and uh, bumped into uh, John Button and said hello to him. And uh, he seemed to be enjoying himself there. But having said that, if you venture slightly out of the uh, the very centre of it all, there's there's plenty of restaurants and bars that are far more affordable and you know we found a restaurant uh up the corner around the corner down the hill and off to the left slightly where you know we had three courses and several beers each and i think it was it was less than 20 euros ahead so if uh if the, if the cost puts you off going to monaco you can do it slightly more reasonably so uh if you can get along do get along i think that might be quite a, a nice holiday after the last couple of years we've had a uh a weekend in the sunshine in Monaco can't be a bad idea. 
it is a great place and it's quite surreal when you sort of turn corners and you see them and you recognize exactly where you are and they and they're even still painted red and white throughout the year and it's it's quite surreal going through the tunnel albeit going the other way and uh, emerging and thinking why do i know this ah yes now i get it no it's an amazing place it's a bit like a prison for rich people a lot of the time but <laughs> it 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 is an amazing place and it's one of those places if you are a, a motorsport fan particularly a formula 1 fan you probably ought to go to at least once in your life. And this could be the perfect opportunity. Like we keep saying, we're not being paid, by the way, by Formula E. 30 euros is all it's you'll need to pay just to go and sit in the bargain. stand. It is an absolute bargain. bargain. And if you happen to be interested in Formula E and you live in or around the Surrey area, around the M25, Brooklyn's Museum has a, uh, a Formula E car from a couple of seasons back, one of the Mercedes ones. You may have seen it on the Brooklyn's program that's on yesterday the first series where they were shunting it around the site so if you want to go and have a look it is there in all its glory it's quite an impressive looking thing it's a lot bigger than i thought actually it's um comparable with a formula one car and it's quite the proportions are a bit um they take a bit of getting used to very swoopy but uh, yeah it's quite interesting to see one actually in the in the carbon as it were <laughs> and a great day out anyway it's a fantastic place i will i mean Regardless, whether they're paying me or not, I'll always big up Brooklyn's fantastic play. <laughs> Too right. I'll go with that. It's odd with uh, with many race series, it doesn't take many lapses or many slides for it to fall out of favour. Yet, similarly, it doesn't take many tweaks or many revisions to all of a sudden make the series come alive again. Uh, I mean, British touring cars being a, a case in point, the mid-90s, late-90s super touring era, you know, that, that was fantastic to watch. And then all of a sudden mm. in the early 2000s, it, uh, it just lost its way and became a, a, a not very inspiring series to watch. And then a few revisions and a few tweaks, and all of a sudden you have different teams and different drivers and different entrants coming back to it and it seems to get a new lease of life for me wrc had the same thing you know colin mcrae and richard burns and tommy mackinnon and carlos Sainz senior as he is now watching all that again mid late 90s early 2000s was was phenomenal then it kind of lost its way for me a bit but watching the the last round at uh, monte carlo and i haven't caught up on sweden yet it, it just seemed Oh yeah, I remember this, and and I remember why I like it now. Hopefully, Formula E can can build on all that and and do that the same. Because let's face it, if uh, if it becomes more environmentally friendly and more politically correct, then more racing can only be a good thing, can't it? Like you, I loved the uh, super touring, uh, the touring cars of the nineties. They, they were just they were just monsters, and, and uh, the drivers were generally. Uh, I mean, I covered it in in some detail for different radio stations so i got to know some people and, and it was just a, a a great time to be around the touring cars and you know i'm not sure that in recent years it's been as exciting it's been perhaps a little more brutal they seem to uh, all want to crash into each other rather more than used to be the case but um you know budgets are different i guess but um i have sort of good memories of of um of that of that era i, I do remember a particularly stormy Thruxton when the press tent which was at the time uh, being used for the driver's briefing practically blew away so we were all asked by the clerk of the course could we put our chairs in a ring around the support for the marquee 
to stop it blowing away. So we we <laughs> we all sat there at some distance while this tornado virtually passed through the through the uh, the circuit. But um, some great times there. Well, how do you follow that? You won't get that at Monaco, will you? That's uh, that's the downside to it. I remember being no, at, no, uh, at Anglesey for a round of the, the mini challenge uh, that we were doing one year. And, you know, you're, you're right out looking over the uh, the ocean. It's, always, it's getting a bit breezy as the, uh, as the afternoon was carrying on. And uh, when you saw the, the locals and the people that work there battening things down and, you know, tying down the lead weights with even more lead weights. You thought, oh, <laughs> should, should we take the tent down? I think we better had. So we took the tent down, put it under the car, lashed everything down to the car, to the wheels, to the drums of fuel. Those that left the tents up, they didn't have any tents in the morning. But it was uh, it was quite an odd, uh, an odd feeling being rocked to sleep in the motorhome that we were all staying in, just gently swaying and then at one point i i swear it got up on uh, on two wheels this thing as it was just rocking from side to side but uh it was a uh, yeah an, an entertaining weekend i think that would be the difference if it was monaco they would weigh the tent down with gold bars <laughs> rather than lead weights uh definitely definitely see the things we'll do for motorsports eh? it's been a fascinating chat we've had I think, you know, and we've come around full circle, as racing circuits tend to. That's a terrible shoehorn, isn't it? But there we go. No, it's been great. It's, we've had a great chat this evening. We've got a lot to look forward to this year, I think, in terms of motorsport. And let's hope the uh, the year improves in a number of ways. But, you know, it's going to be a good year. I'm certainly looking forward to um, Extreme E and getting back into Formula One, I think. And I'm looking forward to Bahrain and the, the next next set of tests where we might actually get to see a little bit more of it. And then who knows what the year's going to have in store for us. Lots to look out for. Uh, we touched on it briefly with uh, Super Touring and discussions, but British Touring Car starts as well uh, in uh, towards the end of April. That starts a little bit later. So I think in the coming weeks, we'll, uh, we'll try and do a little rundown on that as well to whet your appetite. Good idea. And on that good idea... It's probably time to end. So from me, Jim, it's goodbye and take care. From me, Graham, uh, yes, look after yourselves. Take care out on the roads. And from me, Dave, it's been great having you along. Look forward to catching up next time. Take care. Bye-bye. UK Motor Talk, a first-take media production.